welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And unfortunately, Brenda is still not here with us, so I have recruited yet another guest ringer to come on board. Delighted to welcome back to the show, my friend Jenny Nolf. Hi, Jenny. Hello, thank you for letting me come back on my favorite podcast again. <laughs> <laughs> and to talk about a text that you're a big fan of. Uh, yes, well, uh, the film. <laughs> we'll get into right. that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so before we dive into it, I'm uh, just going to quickly acknowledge that our show is created on the traditional lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase Treaty 13 of 1805. And today's text, Vampire Academy, is set somewhere, <laughs> just somewhere in Montana, never specified exactly where. And this is the traditional land of the Blackfoot, Métis, Crow, Cheyenne, and Ochiti Shakoween people. So, Jenny, talking about Vampire Academy, and we were chatting offline, this was actually the first time that you have read the book. Yes, because I had thought I had read the book for a really long time, but it mm -hmm. turns out, and I haven't dug into this yet, that I read another vampire book that was set during like a school time. It not called Vampire Academy, but mm -hmm. could have been called Vampire Academy. Probably called it that in the book, but right. the book I think was called Marked Ones. Okay, okay. I need I need to look into it, but I definitely confused the two. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny right i mean there was a time where pretty much every text that was coming out for ya that was remotely fantasy or romance had vampires vampires at a school you know a, a brunette girl falling in love with a brooding vampire boy you're just like we were really doing this a lot in the late 2000s early 2010s right Oh my god, and the best part is that not only were they made into books, but most of the time they started out as fan fictions that like mm -hmm. I read online. So it's it's like all tangled up together. Like I don't even know if I read this book online or if I actually had a real book or right? if it was even published. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, that golden age of fan fiction. And and not to disparage it at all, right? Like the number of YA authors who got their start during this period who just said, yep, I'm going to take those characters that I love. I'm going to write them making smoochy faces or maybe slash fiction. And then they have turned it into a whole career. It's kind of stunning. I mean, it's really incredible. What a time to have been, oh, a, you know, wannabe author. Right. It really yeah. could launch you into anything. Yeah, I feel like this is the people who really knew how to capitalize on the power of the internet and like fan communities. And as a result, we get, yeah, people who have now had like long storied careers like, you know, so obviously the author of this series is Rochelle Mead. And there are apparently six books in the Vampire Academy franchise. And I think she's got at least two or three other series of books. So like, she has done well for herself. Yeah, not only that, but Vampire Academy has been adapted into not one but two mm. visual media content things. So she has all the residual money from that as well. This is true. This is Jenny teasing the fact that, uh, yeah, of course, we're doing this as there is a Peacock TV show that has now debuted. And maybe we'll talk about that a little bit later. 
So, Jenny, okay, let's try to walk through exactly what this book is about, just in case people haven't had the chance to read or they were not inclined to take the trip to St. Vladimir's Academy. So... This book opens with Rose Hathaway. She is what is known as a dampier or a guardian. And basically, this is like a personal bodyguard to vampires. And in the world of Vampire Academy, vampires are referred to as Maroi. It's very confusing. <laughs> it's fine. There were a couple of times where I wish that Rochelle Mead had actually spent a little bit of time just exploring the history of vampires in this world like she's not straying too far from traditional vampire lore but there is a social hierarchy we get insinuations that there's a political system because there's like a queen and our eventual villain is revealed to be a wannabe politician and that's why he wants to be healed and i i was like oh that's all really interesting but we spend the vast majority of this book locked in the academy where kids are basically doing harry potter stuff just taking classes and getting into petty fights and that kind of stuff yeah i think that they do try to get into some of the lore with shadow kissed anna for example mm -hmm. which i think the book does a lot better than the movie oh boy yeah <laughs> <laughs> but uh it still is like slightly confusing and then you get into like the fact that they're like it doesn't ever lay out how many families there are that mm -hmm. are like in the Maroi bloodlines and it just it gets a little convoluted <laughs> uh but i assume the other books you know explain it maybe flesh it out a little bit more <laughs> right yeah yeah this is very much an introduction to it right like we have a big bad who has a kind of nefarious plot and it's all sort of easily overcome and yet at the same time you can see that there is a lot of groundwork being laid for future antagonists recurring uh you know conflict and that kind of stuff so in a lot of ways i was like okay this is a pretty good primer to say there's more to come but it's a relatively contained story yeah i, I would say so okay so Rose is the Dompier or guardian to a Baroi girl named Lissa. And Lissa is a member of that royal family. So it's a big deal when the two of them have absconded from the academy. And we don't exactly know why uh, until quite a bit later into the book. But they've been living on the streets, sort of making do with the fact that Lissa can compel people to do things that she wants and she's actually been feeding on rose which in this world is a big no-no only certain people are meant to be fed on and they're not well regarded yeah and uh someone like rose in her position shouldn't be fed on and if she is she is essentially slut shamed for it <laughs> oh boy <laughs> So this book came out in 2007, and I will not lie, the slut shaming is off the chain in this book. Like, the number of time that we are saying the words blood whore, I was just like, okay, let's take it down a few notches, shall we? Uh, yeah, I think I highlighted a bunch of uh, excerpts that <laughs> are, are 
they're basically like people in the classmates saying, oh, Rose just likes to sleep with anybody and everybody. Yet the, of course, the plot twist, because this is a late 2000s YA novel, is she's actually never slept with anyone. Of course, because it's all about blood purity and protecting virginity. And oh, boy. Oh, there's a lot of stuff to dive into that I'm so excited to dive into. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Okay, so let's rush through some of the rest of this plot then. So they end up getting apprehended, they get dragged back to the academy, and there's a bunch of rumors and speculations about what they were doing, and it turns into a kind of like high school situation where there's the bad girl, Mia, who is now dating Lissa's former boyfriend, Aaron, and she she recruits a bunch of like Maroi to spread rumors and be bad and that kind of stuff. But Lissa is also finding dead animals and like threatening messages in her dorm around the campus. And we should mention that Rose is psychically connected to Lissa. So they have a bond where Rose can feel things and sometimes even see through Lissa's eyes. So she's very aware of how Lissa is feeling and she's very frail. She's like a a soft, naive, idealistic soul Lissa is. So Rose feels like it's very much her duty to protect her, to make sure nothing happens to her. Uh, We have Dimitri, who is a more experienced guardian that ends up training Rose because, of course, she hasn't been around to keep up with her studies. So so he is asked to look after Lissa because Rose is deemed like unfit, like she's barely even allowed to stay at the academy. But Rose and Dimitri end up having this flirtatious relationship, and he's quite a bit older than her. He's seven years older than her. Oh, yeah, he's 24. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it like, she's underage, so it makes sense. But, like, the book desperately wants it to spin as this, like, oh, God, he's so much older. Like, this is inappropriate. And you're just like, meh, whatever, but fine. <laughs> they really want that teacher-student taboo. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> Lissa has a good friend named Natalie, who she ends up staying with uh, at the academy. And she's very quiet and unassuming. So, of course, that means that she's secretly one of the two villains of this book. The other one is Natalie's father, who is kind of like Lissa's godfather slash uncle. And he is Victor Dashkoff. So he's got a terminal illness. And basically the whole book is about him secretly testing Lissa to realize that she has healing powers. So in this world, vampires have a number of different elements that they can control. But typically you would only have one. And if you can control all of them, you have what's called spirit, which is what Lissa has. And it means that she can heal things. So Victor is like, cool, I would like you to heal me so that I can go on to become a politician because the Maroi have become weak. (laughs) It's all very dastardly and so on. There's about a million other characters, but I feel like that's probably enough to get us started. So Jenny, I'm curious, what were your thoughts on this book? Like, what are your sort of key takeaways? Oh man, it is dated. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That is... (laughs) That is what I got. I I mean, when you dive into it, it I've mentioned this, feels very much like that fan fiction of its time, mm-hmm. which I kind of appreciate because it has like this kind of like kitschiness to it now. Yeah. But yeah. we talked about the slut shaming, which is a big issue, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also um, purports some pretty bad stereotypes 
Like, I think there's, like, one part where they talk about how the Maroi are so skinny. They're actually too skinny, and they they look like models that are underfed. And mm-hmm. that's just their natural, like, body type. And I just, I thought that was a little, like, uh, I was like, okay. Uh, versus Rose, who is this, you know, white slash exotic female protagonist of the late 2000s like early 2010s that they love to have or like she's mixed in with something but they don't know that something and it gives her a quote-unquote almond skin mm-hmm. the amount of times almond skin comes up in this time oh is boy. like crazy oh boy. yeah but also she's curvy and therefore sexy mm-hmm. she's got boobs and therefore everybody wants to like make out with her or have sex or talk about her body all the time <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. Um, And then they have the girl, Mia, who I kind of feel sorry for, where they basically bully her. But she kind of bullies them. But also, it's kind of worse that they bully her because she's basically, she comes from a poor family. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of, like, uh, issues with that. I mean, of course, we mentioned the the teacher-student taboo. Love that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's just Mm -hmm. so many red flags in this book. And yet, I read it really fast. Like, it was one of those ones where you can, like... (laughs) You could just, like, speed through read in a night, and you're like, yeah, that was fun. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think that's actually a really good encapsulation, because I found this to be a really easy read. Like, you kind of just get sucked into it. Rose can be a bit of a frustrating protagonist at points. Like, this is very much first-person narrator, and she's, you know, our typical YA fantasy protagonist. She's headstrong. She doesn't listen to figures of authority. She thinks she's always right. Uh, She doesn't know how to handle her romantic feelings, but she's also a a ride-or-die friend. Like, we're really hitting a lot of the familiar tropes, and yet most of the time that didn't actually bother me. But you're right, so much of this is, like, it's either extremely tropey So if that's not your bag, this is going to be a tough one. But also, it feels very dated in all of the ways that you just laid out. Yeah, I mean, this the book even mentions The Limited, which is really funny for me who just watched the Victoria's Secret docuseries. Mm -hmm. Because that's like, The Limited was like owned by, what's his name, who owned Victoria's Secret. And I was just like, wow, there's a lot of uh, things like, oh, Hollister is mentioned in here. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's all great. (laughs) it's just it's like a it's like a flashback it reminded me of like when i was in high school and you know obsessed with vampire literature Mm because who wasn't post twilight sure and then you know you get the combination of harry potter the fun uh classes and Mm -hmm. (laughs) high school drama i don't know oh yeah and then uh, yeah fighting the patriarchy or the matriarchy because uh, the leader of the vampires right now is a woman Mm mm-hmm I will confess, and I think this is probably more the adult in me, mentioned earlier that I wish Rochelle Mead had spent a little more time unpacking some of the mythology or do some of the world building. And I think it's mostly just because that was the part that I found the most intriguing. Like, don't tease me with a Queen Tatiana and and talk about how, yeah, all these royal families have descended from Eastern Europe and Russia. And like, I want to know more about that. I want to know more about Vladimir, who is the founder of this academy, who is also spirit touch and how he had the the same kind of shadow kissed relationship with his really good friend Anna. I'm like, cool, cool. Give me all of that. Like, I'm more interested in those kinds of things than the high school pettiness than 
Rose, will she, won't she, dancing around with Dimitri and so on. That's really funny that you mentioned that because, the well, mentioned the part that like, uh, Shadow kissed Anna and Vladimir were quote unquote just friends because there's mm-hmm. a whole like page where like Rose and like Lissa like argue about it mm-hmm. or it's not Melissa um, Rose argues about it with somebody and she's like well I have guy friends and it's like she's acting like this person from I'm assuming hundreds of years ago mm-hmm. like has the same mindset as her as a high like a high school teenager I just oh, find sure. it very amusing and I love how the excerpts don't really change the language of no. how the book is written so it's Mm-mm. like it's written like from the perspective of i assume rochelle mead was either in her like late late teens or early 20s when she got this hit book mm-hmm. because that's usually like what happened in that time period if she was a little bit older i'd be surprised um like i would say she's probably college student age and got a really good deal <laughs> yeah it's very much uh we're writing this in the exact same sort of phrasing as Rose would use. And you're just like, oh, isn't this a historical document from (laughs) hundreds of years ago? Yeah. Do do, do people hundreds of years ago actually talk like this? Like, isn't it a diary entry or something like that? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't think this is how they spoke. (laughs) No. But, you know, it's fun. Oh, it's plenty fun. And it's one of those things where you just roll with it, right? Like if you start to pick away at things a little too much, you'll probably just come away frustrated. But in terms of pulpy readability, this book is pretty good. Yeah, I'm almost tempted to read the next one. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. Yeah, right? Like, And I feel like that's probably a good marker of whether or not it's doing its job. Now, you you did mention the sort of class issue. So Mia comes from a poor family, and we eventually learned that Lissa, part of the reason that she and Rose had to run away is because they were encouraged to by a teacher who has the same kind of powers as Lissa. And she said, like, you're in danger. And it all comes back to a car accident that sort of kicks off the action. And it's actually where we start the film, just to really cement its importance in the narrative. But Lissa's entire family died. She had an older brother and two parents, and they were killed in a car accident. And it's eventually revealed that Lissa's older brother was dating Mia, and, you know, he kind of, like, used and abused her, and it really messed Mia up, which, to me, and I'm assuming you, makes Mia a more interesting character. Like, oh, she she was traumatized by this family. There's a reason why she's reacting this way. She's not just a petty girlfriend who's seeing her boyfriend's ex back on the scene. And I thought that was really interesting. And then you contrast that with Lissa's new love interest, Christian, who comes from a disgraced royal family because they turned into Strigoi, which are like the bad vampires. Like if you're a vampire and you kill someone, you become Strigoi, you get red eyes, you have insatiable bloodlust. And basically they're the villains of the vampire community. And everyone shuns him because he's a black sheep, even though he's not Strigoi, it's just his parents who were. Yeah, uh, the dichotomy between those two characters is really interesting because Lissa gravitates towards Christian and mm-hmm. feels for his pain because, you know, they have the lost parent yeah. similarities and so mm-hmm. they can bond. But for Mia, she just never gives her the time no. of day. <laughs> rose rose kind of at one point is like maybe this is bad but then she's like nah nah (laughs) you know what you still seem like a bit of a dick so yeah 
I mean, the weird infantilization, because Mia is apparently shorter and looks quite young. So in the book, there's all these constant references to her being like a child. <laughs> You're just like, this is uncomfortable. What's going on here? Oh, and the, the two-facedness of Rose, who like, she's the one that makes those comments. She's like, oh, she's like 11. But mm-hmm. she specifically uses that age. And she's like, she shouldn't be dating a 17-year-old. That's, uh, oh, I think I even highlighted it. She basically calls... Uh, Alyssa's ex-boyfriend a pedophile yes and then it's like but you're into the 24 year old teacher and that's okay all right (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah in some ways Rose is a hilariously like hypocritical character where she has no capacity to reflect on herself but I also think it's kind of funny how representative of a lot of YA figures she is right like I don't know. She's so emblematic of the kinds of characters we were writing at this time. But in hindsight, we look back and think, you're actually kind of not great in a lot of ways. No, because she herself doesn't want to be called a blood whore or like slut shamed, but she will turn around Mm -hmm. and judge Mia for using her body to convince Royal Maroi to beat up on Rose Mm -hmm. and uh, not, not physically, but like mentally, you know, like start rumors and say that they both slept with Rose versus Mia complicated uh, high school drama (laughs) for sure. I I guess the thing that intrigues me more as a male reader, too, is how representative this feels of things like Heathers and Mean Girls and just everything to do with the social hierarchy of female teenagers. And I feel like a bit of an outsider, but I've seen this in so much media, especially for teens, where it's just like the world of teenage girls is actually really vicious and cruel. I mean, it's not entirely wrong. And also, I mean, you mentioned Mean Girls. It's likely why Mark Waters took on the movie because he's the director (laughs) of Mean Mm -hmm. Girls. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Lots of comparisons there. But yeah, I mean, it is reflective of high school, except, and you know what? It is reflective of a time where high school girls would, I mean, slut shame before like the internet really existed and before like you could realize that you can be sexual and also be a good person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I know Mia is supposed to be like the Draco Malfoy character here. And yep. I'm assuming she's like the villain throughout like the rest of the series. She's even kind of described like Draco Malfoy in a sense. Sure like is. Yeah. Platinum blonde hair, kind of short, kind of like rat like. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. It's too funny. This book is heavily indebted to, Like, if I had to give people an elevator pitch, I'd basically say it's Harry Potter meets Twilight. Oh, yeah, and I'm sure she did. (laughs) I'm sure it's how she got a book deal. Yeah, and everyone was like, yeah, that sounds like something we're interested in right now. (laughs) Yes, we we can make a lot of money off of that. We are interested. Thank you. One thing I didn't mention in the tropes that actually does bother me in the book is the flippant use of cutting Oh, boy. It's bad. And Mm -hmm. it took me a while because, again, I had watched the movie first to realize that she was, it wasn't by accident and it was Mm -hmm. purposeful. Because, like, the first time it happens, I'm like, oh, but she's compelled to because of X, Y, Z. I watched Mm -hmm. the movie. And then, like, the second time it happened, I was like, oh, no, she's actually doing this. Yes. Yeah. So in the book, Lissa basically as a way to ground herself when she feels overwhelmed 
because throughout a lot of the books, she's putting on a performance where she's compelling all of these popular people to make them stop spreading rumors about her and Rose because Rose is being slut shamed. And it takes a toll on Lissa. And because she's such a delicate wallflower, one of the things that she does to make herself feel better is she cuts. And I think the problem is, is that it never really truly gets interrogated. So it's just like, oh, but this is something that she does. And then the insinuation is that once she gets better, she just kind of stops doing it because she doesn't need to anymore. And you're like, well, that's not how it works. And if you're going to introduce that, like you have a responsibility to address it and and really make people understand this is dangerous. Yeah, I, there's actually a passage that I highlighted because I was just my mind was blown at how yeah flippant is the right word i think i used it was just like it said in so much as it could life returned to normal after that lissa did no more cutting the doctor prescribed her something an antidepressant or anti-anxiety drug i couldn't remember which that made her feel better and i was like what oh my god like <laughs> I <was> rose like, <laughs> i was like hold on mm-hmm. and i was like so i assume that she's not gonna be doing this in other books maybe maybe not who knows jenny she's cured come on <laughs> you read the passage i did yeah. i was like floored well i think this is a testament to where we were at with things like mental health as well right like 2007 we were acknowledging things but we also weren't problematizing them or even unpacking them like there's a weird stigmatizing of how Lissa does this but also we don't really want to address it like it's more of a symptom than anything else and as a result we can just make it go away with uh, a few pills yeah and this isn't the first vampire book I remember reading that fetishized cutting Mm mm-hmm and I think there was another one I read called Sweet Blood. I mean, this is also the time where Cut came out and that whole book Ooh, fetishizes boy. cutting. Yes. And it's really should probably be, you know, I'm not for banning books in like high schools, but maybe that one doesn't need to be on high school shelves. Or it comes with like, like a glass case where it's like, if you read this, you must also talk to this person or read this accompanying text that makes sure that you understand why this isn't great yeah i mean so when that was like kind of weaved through this book and used in such a way that it was meant to give lissa some type of traumatic character i i didn't Mm -hmm. love that that was like probably the only part of the book where i was like each i remember that part of the early like 2000s and it was not great (laughs) yeah it's actually an issue that i think it's not quite the same, but it sort of persists into the film where I just find Lissa is a really boring character. And it almost feels like these are attempts to make her quote unquote more interesting. Like, oh, well, she has this problem. But isn't that the case for a lot of YA books of this time where it's like mm-hmm. the best friend is like the main character is like the more interesting like woman. And then you have this like rich bitch best friend. <laughs> Yeah. Who's like really boring, actually, but she's there and you will die for her. <laughs> yeah, it, it's an interesting way to depict friendship, right? And in some ways I applaud it because I struggle with a boring protagonist syndrome a lot in conventional media where you're just like, oh, we're saddled with this person who has to be straight-laced because they're the person 
for whom the entire narrative revolves around. And usually you get really interesting side characters or supporting characters or cameos that live in up a film or a TV show. And this is almost the inverse of it, but I'm still just like, why do we ever have to have a boring character? Like, why can't we have nothing but interesting characters? But I think the book thinks Liz is interesting. And that's, or at least the author. (laughs) Right. Which is really weird to me. But I think that also comes from a time where, like, someone like Lissa, again, someone that looks like she's an anorexic model, Mm -hmm. is interesting just based off the fact that she exists. Right. Like, look at her. She has a perfect life. How could she possibly be a cutter? Because she's an emaciated model hot girl. Right. Who is next in line to be the queen of all vampires. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) I'll also say, like, I know nothing about Lissa's family, except for the fact that they also, too, were uh, next in line royalty. Like, her brother, Mm -hmm. Andre, the only thing we discover about him is that he's kind of an... Towards the end. That's it. But, uh, yeah, Andre's a dick. And that's all we know about her family. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That and she didn't save them. She stayed Rose instead. I did like that, yeah. <laughs> Mom and Dad and Andre, no, they're, they're dead. We can just leave them be. But Rose and a, and a bird, sure. <laughs> oh my god, I love the bird. The bird is the best part. <laughs> <laughs> the bird is my favorite character. He is my favorite character. <laughs> he just lives life <laughs> a second time. But like, as a, a Dampier, I wish the book got into that more. Maybe that's yeah. why I would like read more about it later. Mm-hmm. But oh, oh, and the problematicness of like, okay, I, I didn't highlight all of this, but like how they got into Dampiers and why they can't like marry oh each other because there's a lot of homophobic context in this book. Yeah. And I, I think it's not like she didn't realize she was writing it, mm-hmm. but she was. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because like the whole context when they kind of gloss over and try to describe why dampiers wouldn't date other dampiers is because they can't have children and roses like mm-hmm. why would you date anyone that you couldn't like yeah. have kids with makes no sense you can't like continue <laughs> your line and i'm just like okay rose <laughs> yeah that's gross meanwhile she's like "Ooh, i think about lissa biting my neck because i got so much pleasure out of it i'm just like girl maybe spend a bit of time reflecting on your own experiences like it's not just the bite, maybe. Yeah, and oh, that that whole thing where they get teased and made fun of and bullied about potentially being lesbians and them going, "Ew, gross!" No, I, mm-hmm. I, that 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 just reeks of two thousands, where it's like very like it doesn't realize what it's doing, mm-hmm. but it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what's worse. The idea that uh, any kind of like homosexual relationship is icky or the fact that we simultaneously often depict it as super hot if it's two ladies. We love to have it both ways. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we like to like have our straight characters, but also have our lesbian hotties. (laughs) Mm -hmm, Exactly. (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah, there's a lot of problematic elements, but I assume maybe the books eventually like since Rose is in love with her teacher who is a dampier and they can't, you know, have mm-hmm. kids. Uh maybe eventually it would get into that and why she would choose him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh okay. Well, why don't we transition over to the film and talk about whether some of these issues persist. 
When was the last time you ate? Are you sure about this? Bon appetit. Thanks. What are friends for? I should probably point out that my best friend, Lissa Dragomir, is a royal member of an ancient race. And yeah, like most creatures with fangs, they live off blood. My name is Rose Hathaway, and I've been sworn to protect the royal bloodline with my life. Look alive! Rose Hathaway is wild, dangerous, insubordinate. Right here, folks. Right here. I heard you were good at taking on two guys at once. And this is Vampire Academy. Please don't say Vampire Academy. You know how I feel about the V world. Back off, blood whore. He's mine now. God, I hate high school. This uh, is a possible successor to the throne. Should know by now with us, weird doesn't begin to cover it. Oh my god. I don't know what's gonna happen tonight. At this point, I can't remember who loves us and who hates us. Let's make tonight our bitch. There's a bigger threat still out there. Let's just keep our heads down and stay under the radar. How's that under the radar plan working out, Highness? Not so much. Okay, I love watching this movie. I This is like the third time I have seen it. <laughs> uh, uh, which is a lot, because I don't rewatch a lot of films, preface that. Right. Okay, so the movie comes out uh, seven years afterwards, and it is a screenplay by Daniel Waters and directed by his brother, Mark Waters. And yes, you mentioned earlier in the episode, Jenny, this is the creative team in part behind Heathers and Mean Girls. So uh, we're dealing with some YA pedigree here. Yeah, um, I mean, Mark Waters after this hasn't had the best, you know, streak. No. <laughs> but uh, with he's all that. But um, I mean, it's not the worst Mean Girls follow up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, the box office and the critical reception was very lukewarm. Like people were firmly on the fence. I think this came out at a bad time. Like not only did the adaptation take a while to come to the forefront it feels like they were chasing other more successful franchises like you can very clearly see they were hoping to launch something with this and i think the timing was just bad because we had so many of these and this doesn't stand out in enough ways to be memorable so people are just like yeah it's got a little bit of special effects yeah we're doing vampires yeah the cast is uniformly hot but you and I were chatting off air that in some ways this film has actually aged a little bit better. I think in part because it's got a stacked cast, but it was not stacked in 2014. Like all of these people have become much more famous after the fact. Oh yeah, Zoe Dutch, this was her launching film. Like this is the film I think she probably used in her reel to show people what she could do. Mm-hmm. And then now she's Zoe Dutch and film Twitter's favorite it girl right yeah yeah uh so i will say i saw this when it first came out because i was watching everything ya at the time and i actively hated this movie i thought that the dialogue was trying really hard to be edgy and funny and i did not like zoe dutch and i realized it's because i hated her character on ringer the cw sarah michelle Gellar twin 
show so much because she is this absolute obnoxious brat on that show and i was conflating the actress with the character oh my god i first off i've never seen that (laughs) as i mentioned this is the first thing i saw zoe in and actually it's the reason i like the movie back then i watched it in theaters it was in theaters for like a week and a half and i somehow you know found time right yeah Uh, only person in the theater with my friend Mary. We were laughing and we were like, Zoe Dutch, she's going to be it. She's mm-hmm. so funny. She is like sarcastic. She's yep. witty. She uses uh, humor in her like body language, which mm-hmm. I found very refreshing. And a lot of like women don't do that as often, at least at the time. But you're right. It came out at the wrong time. It came out in 2014. Twilight was over. Harry Potter was over. No one really wanted it anymore. And then, like, uh, two years later, this Vampire Academy movie comes out, and mm-hmm. it, people are supposed to be excited. Further that, the layers go deeper, because the Weinsteins had this weird anti-campaign for their own movie. Oh, And, really? I mean, the Weinsteins, we already know, are really, oh, yeah. like... They are not good. <laughs> they're not good. And they are. they were known, though, before we knew the really not good stuff, they were known for throwing their films... Yeah. Away. Mm-hmm. Um, like, for example, Snowpiercer was locked up for two years because right. they wanted edits done. And yeah, they're very, they're very flippant about their films. And Vampire Academy was had like a smear campaign. Really? Like they did not want it to do well. That I did not know. And that is really interesting. Yeah, because like when you look at the box office of this movie, it is a huge commercial flop. It costs 30 million to make, which is actually not terrible. It's a little high considering we don't have a ton of special effects in here, but it only made $15.4 million. Like, it is a huge failure. But you start to think, okay, it came out in an oversaturated market and also its own studio torpedoed it. Yeah, like no one no one wanted this movie to do well. And I think like at the time, the only really big name involved in this was uh, the woman from Modern Family. Mm-hmm, right. Um, whose name Sarah is... Sarah Hyland? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's hilarious. When she shows up, Sarah Hyland is looking exactly the same as she does on Modern Family, only with like really tight curls. And she stands out in this movie, but I would argue for all the wrong reasons. So she's playing Natalie, who is like the secret villain. She's working with Victor to orchestrate this campaign against Lissa, but also to verify that she has healing powers. And Natalie in the book is very quiet. She's demure. Like, she's almost unassuming. She blends into things, so you don't even notice she's there. And here, they've turned Natalie into a chatterbox character, and she's really annoying. And it's Sarah Hyland, so, like, she's very cute and lovable, but also she's kind of a chipmunk, and it's not enjoyable to watch. I do think... It makes her more interesting, though, than in the book. Because Natalie in the book, you mentioned, like, she's a blip. And so when they reveal that she is a villain, which they reveal it earlier in the book, Uh uh, I was like, Eh. uh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I don't care. (laughs) But in the movie, I do like how they hold the cards. Because I I think we didn't mention that Natalie is also the the daughter of Vladimir. 
Yes. Um, so when it happens in the movie, it's actually, I think, a very funny reveal because Rose is talking to Vladimir. And then in the background, all these vampires are dying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, uh, yeah, Natalie slash Sarah Highland comes out and she's like, I'm a Strigoi now. <laughs> yeah, the movie seems to have a better awareness of when it can and cannot be campy. So you mentioned that Deutsch by herself is actually very, very funny. And I think it helps to ease off some of the more grating characteristics of Rose from the book like she seems a little petulant a little adversarial whereas Deutsch plays her almost like she's the comic relief in a movie but it just happens to be that she's the main character and this is her movie (laughs) and it's enjoyable to watch like a lot of the time but yeah Sarah Hyland annoying for most of the movie but then when she gets her big villain reveal you know they completely changed her outfit she's now super sexy (laughs) she's you know we get repeated shots emphasizing the fact that she's wearing big heels in this dramatic climax and it does it makes her more interesting as a villain because she gets to pop unfortunately it only lasts for like five minutes maybe that it's like three yeah This movie has, I think, a climax problem. Like, the book does, too. Everything happens in an isolated cottage, and we don't really get to see most of what's happening because Rose isn't involved in it. So she has, like, a showdown with a couple of, like, hounds, which are just, like, big wolfy dog things. And, of course, they're CGI monstrosities in the movie, and they look absolutely terrible. Oh, my God, they do. (laughs) Which is fine. This is where we were at with a lot of CGI at this point. But um, yeah, it it's so underwhelming. We have two kind of mini climaxes and then we're just done. And I'm I'm constantly surprised that it feels like, oh, there will be bigger battles to come in the next movie, except that there is no next movie. Oh, yeah, because I forget every time I watch this that there's that awful cliffhanger mm-hmm. with Claire Foy, um, yeah. who is in this movie shocking because like (laughs) yeah so she plays the teacher miss carp who is the one who told them that they needed to get away from the school because there was like nefarious plots and she's meant to be the kooky teacher and there's this weird reference that because she has the same powers as Lissa, they drove her mad. And then she turns Strigoi because when you become a Strigoi, you don't have the connection to your elemental powers anymore. And in the book, I very much read that as, well, they're lying to them because they did something to Miss Cart because they noticed that she was different or something like that. And then the movie just full on is like, here's our cliffhanger. It's Claire Foy as a Strigoi with like, a thousand other ones in a cave above the school and they're just like cool now we're gonna attack and you're thinking wait what oh my god it's like the weirdest reveal i kind of wish that if they just cut that scene this movie would like just be so much better for it like i know (laughs) why it was there Mm -hmm. but i'm like did did we really need that especially since they knew that they weren't gonna make a sequel like they could have just been like let's just cut that end (laughs) Yeah, it definitely feels like, okay, we know what happens in the books. So if we magically get another film, then this will be payoff for all of the fans. But for the casual viewer, it makes, I mean, it's not that it doesn't make sense. It's just, it feels like a bit of a wet thud. Like, oh, okay, this character who has barely been in this movie is apparently going to be a big bad. And where did all of these Strigoi come from? It, It raises too many questions. 
Yeah, and I mean, you get the feeling in the the movie and in the book that the Strigoi are like potentially misunderstood. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, with the whole like Lissa and Miss Carp thing, where and the old old guy that had the shadow kissed Anna. I can't remember right. his name right now. Vladimir. Yeah. Yeah, Vladimir. Uh, they all talk about how, like, oh, well, these ones who have the spirit will choose to be Strigoi, like, as you mentioned, so they mm-hmm. don't feel anymore. Although in the book, it's a little bit different than in yeah. the movie. In the movie, you can declare spirit. In the book, you can't. They're yes. like, oh, no, you just have to, you have to just, like, let it go and not be it. <laughs> yeah, it, they've, like, actively suppressed it so that people don't even really know it's a thing anymore in the book. Whereas in the film... Certain things are just like way more obvious. Like we're using compulsion all the time on the regular. Whereas in the book, it's like, no, no one does that. You would never, ever do that. Yeah, I think that is what makes the movie still a little bit more enjoyable for me. Because some of the parts in the book where I'm just like eye roll, like this is weird. Mm-hmm. Like the movie almost kind of fixes them. Also, the bit, movie does yeah. take a lot of a lot of the problematic elements, especially with Lissa and cutting. It makes it, as I mentioned before in the movie she's not purposely doing it. Mm -hmm. It's like something that happens to her out of overuse of the spirit magic where her skin will just like kind of almost like, you know, burst into this versus like her actually physically going at it. Yes. Yeah. We're, we're really toning down the slut shaming. So it's in there, but it's not used in the same way. Yeah. The cutting is just a manifestation of her overusing her powers. And it really only happens kind of the one time yeah and it it happens in a blip and it's really like unclear i would say it's handled better in the film yes yeah so let's talk about some of these other characters because we haven't really talked at all about (laughs) this is my not good segue to talk about how terrible dimitri is so dimitri is played by danila kozlowski and I think he is legitimately Russian because the character is also Russian. But everyone else in this movie is model beautiful. Some of them have been unfortunately styled to look like they have just walked off the set of Twilight. So we've got Cameron Monaghan as Mason, who is a character we haven't mentioned at all. But basically, he has like super white skin and then like super fake dyed hair. And you're just like, we've taken the wrong lessons from Twilight. But then, yeah, we have Dimitri, who is meant to be older. He's Russian. And I'm sorry to say, but like as a love interest, they have cast what appears to be a 35-year-old, not particularly attractive man in this role. I was about to say, I was like, what? I was reading the book and I was like, oh, he's supposed to be 24. That man is like 40 mm-hmm. <laughs> in the movie. And I was like, Ugh. that is like the biggest problem. Yeah, he just looks so 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 much older than zoe deutsch and i mean i don't want to say like oh you have to be model beautiful to be in a ya film but like everyone else in this movie is ridiculously attractive like even the adults like we've got jolie richardson as queen tatiana we've got olga karilenko who is a former bond girl playing the headmistress like people look like they have been cut from marble in this movie and then you've got like schlubby dimitri over here it is yeah i'm not like saying danila uh, kozlovsky is like unattractive mm-hmm. but i just wish that he actually looked a little bit younger he actually like 
it was a little bit more universally hot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like just give us something. Don't give us nothing. Well, I feel like I would have accepted it more if he was more charismatic or if he and Deutsch had good chemistry, but we don't have any of that. So he just feels badly miscast. Yeah, because he just kind of stands there on the sideline sheepishly and he's just like, ha ha ha, I have a crush on this high school girl and I'm going to try to not make it obvious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I do, I am glad that they did tone it down a little bit for the movie because the sex, the near sex scene in the book, I was just like, whoa, she's naked. Mm-hmm. She's naked and he's <laughs> not, but <laughs> yeah. But he's getting there. It was very close, at least in the movie. It's like, oh, they, they. They figure it out Mm -hmm. a little bit sooner before uh, all the clothes come off. I will say one of the challenges that I have with the film is that everything also feels very hyper accelerated. So I was watching this with Brian, my husband, and he had definitely seen it before. So this is maybe the third time I've seen this. But when we were watching it, he was like, oh, that scene's over? Oh, okay, wait, who is that character again? Because I feel like we've only met them once. Like, the movie feels like it's in a desperate rush to get to where it's going, and I think it often comes at the expense of characters and arcs and even just, like, letting us breathe in a particular scene or a moment, so it's like, nope, we gotta get on to the next thing. Oh, I particularly love at the dance where they word vomit, like, Mia's whole plot. Right. They kind of do that in the book, too, but Mm -hmm. it's almost worse visually because they're like, oh, yeah, so she had a threesome, and then they (laughs) do a flashback to her naked with two men, just their backs, like, writing on the wall. What are we doing? so (laughs) funny. It's like, oh, so we're just going to unveil her whole plot, and Mm -hmm. then they're like, oh, wait, but there is a part missing huh, maybe there's actually another villain. And it's just like, it just, you're right, it speeds. But I think at this point in YA adaptions, I was used to that because every movie that wasn't Harry Potter or Twilight Mm -hmm. felt like it was on crack. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking of some of the other adaptations that we are seeing in and around this time. Like, uh, I'm thinking of, shadow hunters and beautiful creatures and that kind of stuff they they all sort of have this vibe where they don't know exactly how to be an adaptation but also to be a standalone film so they're trying to appease fans who are looking for all their favorite characters all their favorite moments but they're trying to do it all while still also being an entertaining film for people who maybe haven't read the book Like, I'm looking at this cast list, and there's definitely about 15 different characters. And I have so much trouble remembering who is who outside of, like, the main sort of four or five characters. I don't know why we needed to incorporate all of this in here and then really not give most of these characters anything to do. So it just feels overloaded. And then we've also got to speed along. Yeah, and also, correct me if I'm wrong, but the movie also kind of glosses over a lot of the basic facts that the book at least lays out, like mm-hmm. the Dampiers being half vampire. I may, I think it's in a cutscene in the beginning where they define Dampier, right. but it's never mentioned again. No. Like, uh, Rose's mom is not fleshed out she just sends telegrams yeah that's it clearly we're (laughs) we're like we're not going to cast her because we're not going to use her in this movie we'll we'll hire like a famous british woman for like movie number three 
Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of like things left unsaid in this movie. And this is why the, the ending bothers me. Because I think if all these things were left unsaid, this movie would just be fine. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I like it a lot still. But <laughs> <laughs> I think it would have been better received, possibly. Because then people like people like me who didn't read the book before going to see it, I could mm-hmm. follow it along fine. I got that it was from a book. Like, Beautiful Creatures was kind of similar in right. a way to me. Yep. Where it was like, it was adapted. It was really rushed. But also at the same time, everyone in the movie is having fun. And therefore, I am having fun. Okay. Um, hmm. And when you say about Rush, there's a really, really especially funny scene where Zoe, uh, Rose, and Mason are talking and they're having like a mini argument in the hallway because mm-hmm. uh, Mason is like mildly jealous that Rose won't give him the time of day but gives all these other boys the time of day. Right. And then she's like, I have no time for you. And then he goes, okay. And then he just walks <laughs> off the side of the screen. And it's like the funniest thing I've ever seen in a movie where she's just like, no. And then she, he's just like, fine, exit yep. stage left. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess my scene is over. Goodbye. It's so funny to me. I don't know. I just I think that this movie has like a lot of like really weird quirks to it that just make it like slightly absurdist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I almost think it works better as a high school comedy than as like a sexy vampire thriller. Because the moments where they just get to be weird and do unusual things to me are actually more entertaining than the traditional sort of like plot mechanics. Like there's this interesting moment where Lissa, because she hasn't been able to feed on anyone regularly, like she's been feeding on Rose while they were away from the Academy. They have dedicated feeders. And these are like people who volunteer to be fed on because they're addicted to the bite. And Lissa gets really excited because she sees someone that she has fed on before And afterwards, we're kind of in this uh, hospital reception area where Rose has been hanging out and she's talking to Gabriel Byrne, Victor, who is the baddie because he's there being treated for his incurable fatal disease. And then Lissa comes out and she's all giddy. And Rose goes, you don't even know anything about that woman. Like, she's just booed to you. And Lissa's like, uh, no, she's this and this and this. And she has like this hobby and interest. And you're just like, what a weird little moment for this film to include. But it allows Lucy Fry, who plays Lissa, to do something fun. And most of the time, she's such a Debbie Downer character. You're just like, oh, fun. Okay. Nice. This is a a genuine character moment for you. Yeah, which honestly, the book doesn't have anything for her like that. And they Mm -hmm. don't even like flesh out the feeders the way the movie does, which is really strange. The feeders just exist in the book. The movie, they're actually like, they are like, oh, no, these are people like, they have lives and Lissa has that fun moment where she gets to like, you know, have a friendship with one of them sort of. Mm -hmm. And I think they're explained a little bit better and the rules of them are explained a little bit better in the movie than they are in the book. Like they're only there for like a year and like they, they want to do this, but then you wipe their memory at the end. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause in the book, it's really just tied to Rose being called a blood whore and slut shamed because Lissa was feeding on her. Like that's the context in which we're finding out more about the feeders. Whereas the film is kind of like, well, we need to explain how these vampires are subsisting on a remote Montana campus. Okay. Here's, here's the deal. One year people volunteer, then they get mind wiped. Although to me that if it's like they only serve for one year, Lissa's, 
feeder that she knew wouldn't be there mm-hmm. anymore. Technically wouldn't be there. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Because, uh, like, at least in the timeline in the movie, they make it very clear they've been gone for a year, which both the book and the movie do this in a very strange way where they're like, they're gone. And it was for a reason, but we'll, we won't tell you until the third act. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. As though they it's a huge left. mystery. And you're like, no, we get it. They just needed to run because it wasn't safe for them. Like, <laughs> we get it. But I love how when they're back, they don't even act like it was unsafe for a second. They're like, eh, back to normal. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I will say I find the headmistress not a good character in the film. Like, she's frustrating in the book because she's often impeding Rose. And because we are aligned with Rose, we are therefore frustrated. Whereas in the film, she's just like a huge B word. Like, she's maybe plotting with Mia and she's so combative in every instance you're just like this character is not likable or interesting i'm glad that you said that she's maybe plotting with mia because they so desperately want her to be a red herring Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in the movie but she's very obviously not (laughs) (laughs) yeah brian spent the entire movie being like so is that the bad person because this movie wants to throw every person who isn't rose or lissa as a red herring yeah and like they definitely want you to hate that like headmistress Mm -hmm. and like her last line in the movie unless i totally forgot her coming back after she's like a xanaxed out basically Mm -hmm. uh that she wanted she could have been a model in milan and i was like what what (laughs) like stop it what (laughs) but it's also very funny well, I was trying to figure out, is that the movie acknowledging the fact that the actress in real life is, like, gorgeous and I think did modeling before she became an actor? Maybe. I kind of thought when reading the book it was a reference to how all these vampire women are supposed to look like tiny uh, models. Mm, okay. But then, actually, then I kind of thought that the cast, if they had made that more clear, that, like, all of the royals slash vampires were supposed to be, like tiny you know slender like model-y people sarah highland is actually really interesting casting Mm because she's kind of very much obviously black sheep she has like boobs she has hips she has curly hair versus like flowing straight hair right (laughs) yeah so it's like it would have been interesting if they like brought that in and they're like oh well natalie is an outsider because she actually doesn't look like us (laughs) right but you know I, i they never really make that clear no, and and maybe one sort of final point of contention against the film before we move on to our YA bingo is um, it's weird to me that this movie got made in 2014 and there is a single person of color in this entire movie. I think it's like Lissa's sort of but not really friend Camille who maybe gets a couple lines, but everyone else in this movie is, oh, white, 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 white. Oh, well, I mean... They're just adapting what the book was serving, (laughs) which was white, 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 white. (laughs) Like, you're a vampire. You can't be a person of color. You must be white. You must be Eastern European descent. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. The focus on Eastern European. I was just like, oh, I get it. You know, this is where vampire lore comes from. But it was just like, oh, it's uncomfortable. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, at least in the book, we have the semi-exotic rose. Mm -hmm. Which, uh, a whole other slew of issues, but probably will make for a better adaptation in the series because it looks like the lead character might be, you know, mixed race herself, potentially, mm-hmm. it looks like. So, I mean, like, it's interesting that they give her, like, in the book, this, like, Turkish slash Muslim background. Right. And in the movie, you're like, that's Zoe Dutch. Yeah. She's white. <laughs> like, 
great actress. She's very believable, I find, in the action sequences because she looks very fit. But also, I'm just like, yeah, she could not be more white. <laughs> well, she just has brown hair, which is uh, the... Mm -hmm. that's as that's as person of color as we can get she has brown hair there we go yeah (laughs) (laughs) she's not blonde oh boy (laughs) oh yes (laughs) okay so jenny let's move into some ya bingo i'm so excited for this (laughs) bingo not a good bingo okay So as our guest, I'm going to give you a first crack. Uh, What are some of the spots that you see? All right. Dead body, dead family. Oh, yeah. We're starting it all strong there. (laughs) Starts that way in the movie. Starts that way in the book. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Magic Supernatural. I'm just going to take an easy one. Because obviously. (laughs) And then. Ooh, okay. Let's do... Oh, holiday prom or wedding, because there was a school dance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then also road trip. Mm-hmm. Gonna take that one too. And I don't know if aged up or forever young counts because they're vampires. So I think it does, if only because the actors are so clearly older than they're meant to be. Like everybody in this movie is very obviously like mid twenties. Oh, yeah. And I love that um, Zoe Dutch and Lucy Fry also were cast in another high school movie not too shortly after as best friends. <laughs> oh, really? Really? Okay. Oh, my God. Yeah, they were. <laughs> oh, uh, maybe good friendships? Yeah, I, I think more so in the book because we get so much about how Rose is indebted to like Lissa and she will do anything to save her. Yeah. Oh, and the chosen one because Lissa is a she's a chosen one. Yes, only she can heal. Yes, and only she can be the successor to the vampire mm-hmm. throne. <laughs> a lot of these. Oh, maybe hollow romances, because I don't really believe uh, Lissa and Christian's romance. Oh, really? I was going to say Rose and Vladimir. Honestly, they're both pretty hollow. Going yeah. to give it a double. <laughs> <laughs> I think. That would be it, unless you're seeing some that I am not seeing. So I'm going to add in uh, ableism and abuse, and it's mostly because of the cutting sequences in the book to me. Like, I don't like the way it's handled, but it is abuse of a kind. Yes, I was considering that one, but I wasn't sure if that's the kind of abuse that you referred to. But self-abuse is a real thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then I'm going to say CGI for our Psyhounds. Oh, duh. And the fire. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, just not good. And... Was there a montage in the movie? No. No. I'm surprised, actually. Or at least it's not memorable enough that it doesn't immediately come to mind, right? Because usually in these kinds of movies, we'll get, a, we'll get musicality and we'll get montages. And in this one, it's kind of like... Eh. Yeah, nothing really that memorable. No. Uh, I mean, house porn maybe because uh, the school is pretty legit. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, this was filmed in the UK at like actual castles. So, <laughs> I mean, I know it's an academy, but. 
I would say the only other one that I've got is uh, coincidental classes, because not only in the book does Rose learn how to handle some of the Psyhounds because she was paying attention to like wolf behavior, but also she does all this research about like the history of the Academy with with St. Vladimir, and that's how she ends up learning all about how to work with Lyssa. That's true. Wow, yeah, there's a lot of them. So there is a lot, but unfortunately the way that the new board has been configured means that we did not get a line. Oh my god, you're right! If only we had a perfect date and a female screenwriter. Right? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Uh, well Jenny, this has been delightful. Thank you so much for coming back on the pod. If people want to talk about how amazing Zoe Deutsch is, how can they get a hold of you? Uh, You can find me on Twitter at Jenny Lee X33, and Lee is spelled L-E-I-G-H. That's probably the best way to get to me. Oh, also on Letterboxd, same uh, same handle. Nice. Yes. Uh, Jenny is a noted film contrarian, so she has a lot of interesting opinions. So I love to, to fact check the things that I watch against you and be like, oh, are we actually in line for this? How bizarre. Yeah, I mean, I love, as I mentioned, I think, uh, before the podcast started, Vampire Academy is my favorite three-star movie. <laughs> it's so funny because the way you talk about it made me think that this was like a five-star movie for you and then i was like oh i think we have the same rating it's a three-star movie i mean i see the issues yet i have a good time (laughs) there we go and sometimes that's more important right i think so All right. Well, uh, if you want to get a hold of me, I can be reached at B Still My Remote, and that's the letter B. And if you want to get in touch with the podcast, you can use the hashtag HKHSPod. If you have something long form, you can reach us via email at HKHSPod at gmail.com. And next week, we are not done with Vampire Academy because as Jenny has teased, we have a TV show out on Peacock, 10 episodes of 60 Minutes. So uh, folks, get to watching because we are covering the TV show next week. It's all very exciting. So until then, thanks again, Jenny. And uh, folks, I will see you on the screen and on the page. He's an experienced guardian and he ends up getting so he ends up getting uh oh my god yeah and this isn't the first vampire book i remember reading that fetish that fetish laugh